I'm on a mission. A mission to speak with the most inspiring people from all over the world. I want to know their stories. I want to know what stories they used to tell. And are those the same stories that they're telling today? Or did they redefine that story to overcome limiting beliefs and achieve their dreams? I want to help them share their stories. Why? Because I know the power of the story. I know that it can make or break you. It can give you the world or it can tear it apart. There's always two sides going down in your head and you get to choose. Will I listen to the one that's trying to stop me or the one that keeps pushing? These are their stories and this is the stories we tell. What's up, guys? It's your host, Jamie Messina, and we have an awesome show coming up for you today with Roxanne Felig. She is a social psychology PhD candidate doing some pretty interesting work that falls right in line with what we talk about here on this podcast with later in life lesbians, with uh, social media, and just society in general. So I'm really excited to share some of the things that she's found and just have this conversation um, with her so that y'all can be in on it. But first, if you haven't hit subscribe yet, please go ahead and do that. And if you find value in today's episode or any of the episodes that you hear, please consider going over and leaving us a five-star review over on Apple iTunes. That's going to help me uh, reach my goal of rippling out to at least a million people. And listen, we have some big things coming your way, including speed dating at the end of the month. So just be on the lookout. If you're not in Club Lilies yet, click that link in the description. Get your get your button there um, so you don't ha- miss out on anything fun, anything amazing, all the good things that are coming our way. Now, let's get to it with Roxanne. All right, we have Roxanne. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's so dorky. Uh, <laughs> Roxanne Felig with us. Um, how old are you? I'm 26. Okay, so me singing that song, you probably have all these old old people that do that to you, huh? Yeah, and I'm like kind of a good thing, but also kind of an unfortunate thing is like the newer Roxanne song that's come out. I don't know if you've heard of the like Roxanne, Roxanne. It's oh, yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's honestly worse like I used to really hate when people would sing the police song to me because they would be like are you gonna put on the red light and I'm like I'm 12 are you saying that I'm a prostitute like that's what that song is about Um, nobody knows knows what songs are about they just sing them (laughs) but I hate the new version the new Roxanne song more so I'm now okay with okay so I'll sing original okay singing the old the old people one yeah yeah Awesome. All right. So can you tell, first of all, thank you for coming on and and, and, uh, joining us. Um, Tell people who you are and what you do. So my name is Roxanne. Um, I am a PhD candidate at the University of South Florida, and I study social psychology, which is basically um, how our human psychology is impacted by engaging in social situations. Um, So it's not like clinical research. It has nothing to do with mental illness, which a lot of people think of when they think of psychology. Um, I'm more of the like, how is Zoom interacting with our ability to have a social interaction? How are we impacted by social media? Things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And lately I've been kind of pivoting to um, doing some science communication on TikTok and other social media platforms to kind of actually have an impact with the work that I'm doing. 
So I have about a year left in my PhD program. And then I really have no idea what I plan on doing with my degree. (laughs) Awesome. Well, first of all, if this thing, if this kind of existed when I was in college, um, probably would have went similar route, you know, social media not being a thing when I was like sucks. Like I'm like, man, if they just had it when I was around, I would have had so many more avenues to follow. Yeah. um, I love what you're doing. That's awesome. Um, So can you tell me the story? So I know you blew up on TikTok, right? Yeah. (laughs) Can you tell me and and all the viewers, because I I, I heard you quickly explain to me once, but what, how did that happen? What, what was the story? Okay. So like I said, I'm a social psychologist by training. So when I first started at USF, my, well, okay, let me back up. I'll back up even further. So the sub-focus of psychology that I um, study is basically like gender dynamics. So I primarily study social processes that impact women um, disproportionately to men. So things like sexism, objectification of women, sexualization, and then more so I kind of study how that happens in a virtual social media world. But um So I study this process called self-objectification, which is the extent to which we come to like monitor ourselves and view ourselves as if we are like being gazed at by other people. Um, And this is like a leading predictor of eating disorders and sexual dysfunction in women and all these like horrible mental health outcomes. And basically it's just kind of our brains are limited. And so when we focus on how we look, we actually kind of become disconnected from how we feel. So we aren't able to recognize our hunger cues. We aren't able to recognize our emotional states. We aren't able to recognize if we're having sexual pleasure, things like that. So when I first came to USF, my advisor now um, was working on a study or was conceptualizing a study that was building off of Cardi B's quote, a hoe never gets cold. Um, so Cardi B went viral like a decade ago for this like little video that she posted, I think on Vine, um, where she was like dressed really skimpy and she was like, it's cold outside, but I'm looking like a thotty cause a hoe never gets cold. Basically saying like, this is what I'm wearing regardless of the temperature, because I care about how I look. Right. And so my advisor was like, okay, well maybe maybe this like phenomenon that everyone sees of women like going out underdressed to clubs is not so much that like they're cold and they don't care, but maybe they're actually so focused on how they look that they do have a disconnect from their body states. Maybe they don't feel cold. So I was like, okay, I'm going to study this. Like, this is what I'm going to work on for the next couple of years. So we ended up doing a field study and we did it here in Tampa. We went out to Ebor um, a few years ago during like a cold spell. It was like in the forties, which I know you're like from Boston. I'm sure you can appreciate now that like when it drops Listen, below, like I'm always cold. 40 is cold for me. I would do when, it, yeah. when it drops below <laughs> like 50, it's freezing here. So we went out um, from like 9 PM to like midnight, multiple nights out in Ebor. And we surveyed women who were like going to bars, going to clubs, and we had them fill out a survey um, that indicated kind of on average how much they self-objectify. So they answered questions like, um, I'm always thinking about how I look to other people. I'm more concerned with how my body looks and how it feels. We took photos, full body photos of their outfit so that we could kind of see how much skin they had exposed. 
And then we asked them how cold they felt, what they thought the temperature was, how intoxicated they were, all those things to kind of control for. And we found that women who were higher in self-objectification had no relationship between the amount of skin that they had exposed and how cold they felt. Um, and women who are more in tune with their body felt colder when they should. So we wrote up this paper and we like quoted Cardi B. We were like, as Cardi theorized, oh, never gets cold. We want to test that. We want to see if objectifying yourself actually reduces your ability to, you know, pay attention to body sensation. And so it got published, you know, went through peer review, all that good stuff. And I was at the time, like I just started dabbling with TikTok Mm -hmm. and I was like, I see people post their research all the time, like, you know, psychologists on here who have thousands of followers, I should do it. And at the time I had like no followers and I also had not posted very many TikToks. So I didn't really know what I was doing. So I posted a video and it, I wouldn't say it went viral by like TikTok standards. I think it has like 300,000 views, which isn't a ton. Like I've had videos with more than that, but it, immediately like started going viral on every news site every other platform like the new york post interviewed me buzzfeed huffington post i was on bbc news to talk about it like (laughs) that it was just because i posted this tiktok and it was obviously like kind of a catchy thing like oh cardi b is a scientist like she discovered (laughs) this thing but um people like ate that tiktok up and um yeah, like Cardi retweeted me. (laughs) Um, So it was just like a really weird thing that I wasn't expecting because I decided to share this video. And since then, I'm like, oh, wow, like people are receptive to science if it's delivered in a way that makes sense to them. Like if I can condense a 30 page research paper into like a little nugget of something that people can actually relate to their life immediately, it's going to do well. So since then I've kind of, I've been figuring out how to share science in that way. And not all of the research that I do is that like meme worthy, but I try to like make it meme worthy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been, that's what happened. Maybe that's a research, uh, project on its own. Yeah. How that's crazy. Um, awesome. I love, I love that. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this yesterday. I I made a post questioning, you know, if, okay, I'm back. If, um, if lesbians or the difference between being sexually harassed by man or did you see that yesterday that I was talking about? I didn't see that, but I think about that like, a lot. So I know the the DMs that I get. And sometimes I'm like, mm. wow, mm-hmm. like if a dude had said this to me, this would not be okay. And it happens quite often. And so, you know, I run a group of, of women um, who are later in life and they're trying to understand. And yesterday I got a question from somebody that's like asking me about that. Like, what is this? Why are lesbians so... Um, freely just saying whatever they want with no, like, you know, they don't even think about it. And I'm like, is there this double standard where, you know, a guy and a lesbian can say the same thing to you, but you're going to get mad at a guy and not a lesbian or like, what is that? I've been thinking about it because I keep seeing people's like signs at Fletcher concerts and like signs that she's sharing. That's like, will bottom for Fletcher. And I'm like, if, if that was a man, like, I don't think she would repost it on her story. There is, I, I think it's, 
I think it's like simultaneously like there isn't the power dynamic of like men using that sexualization to like try to oppress women and like dominate women like lesbians and like bisexual women who are interacting with other women are like on the same playing field in terms of like structural status but also I do feel like it might inherently be like some internalized misogyny especially because I know there's research on this and I feel like I should have looked into this a little bit before our conversation (laughs) but I know I know I know there's some research like looking at like mask lesbians who um like report like similar behavioral patterns as like cis men like there's a very heteronormative like formula that some gay couples follow where you know who's gonna wear the suit who's gonna wear the dress like okay we're two women but we can't just both be femme like so I feel like in some ways some queer women probably try to take on that masculine role which inherently involves sexualizing women yeah but at the same time it's also like kind of liberating to be like wow look I can be like objectified and sexualized by like another woman who actually is like valuing me as a person while she's doing it right so it's it's complicated that's a fine line yeah I mean and and I think about it even for myself like sometimes people will send me that and be like oh and I'll have like a little smile and then somebody else will send me like oh yeah Yeah. you're crossing a boundary but like yeah no like yeah I was just thinking about that the other day so um I thought maybe you'd have some insight on that yeah I I was really thinking about the same exact thing. I think it was yesterday Fletcher posted a couple of signs from her tour that were like just so hypersexualized or just like all of the TikToks that are geared toward her. I'm just like, really, if a man did this, I would be furious. Right. Well, and at the same time, I mean, she does have a bed on her stage that she humps. Yes, 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 yes. So I don't know. I don't know. Such a fine line. Um, So like, how do you feel about what's happening? So, you know, you're 26, I'm freaking 40. So I was able to kind of watch this, you know, social media was born. Like it honestly, Facebook didn't even become a thing till after I graduated college. So, and at first you had to have a college like right on it but I was very intrigued by social media straight from the beginning and just watching how it's evolved over the years and what it's become and um is amazing to me and so I know do you find anything with what you do as a researcher with social behavior and like what are your thoughts on social media and what it can do for us or is it good or bad or both or what what are your thoughts on that Mm, that's a loaded question that is there's a lot um Obviously, there are huge benefits in terms of like social connection and finding groups of people. Like, I don't think you would ever have your Lily's group if it weren't for Facebook or TikTok or anything. You're able to find, especially people with marginalized identities, I think are they have an easier time finding people to connect with. However, social media as a whole is truly the worst thing I think ever. Like there's something about having separation from people that you're interacting with that increases like hostility Mm -hmm. and there's no filter on what you say. And everything now is just, people are just trying to go viral. They're trying to do the most intense thing, the most like just insane thing to get views, to get likes. It's very disingenuous, I feel. Yeah. 
which is why I like TikTok because it feels a little more genuine and like the most random shit will, sorry, the most random stuff will go viral. <laughs> um, um, but like some particular stuff that I've studied has to do with like selfie editing and how selfie editing impacts mental health. And just the fact that like in every platform now, filters are automatically built in. Sometimes I like record a video on TikTok and they've put a filter on me and I don't even realize it until afterwards I'm looking at it and it like moves a little bit. And I'm like, whoa, like, I don't know what I look like because this is happening like without my consent. So I, I, I feel like overall social media is really awful for the human psyche in terms of just like not having personal, like one-on-one real life interactions with people and losing the ability to like understand body language and like boundaries and just like all of that good stuff. And it just promotes comparisons with other people. It's just bad, but I love it. It's bad, (laughs) but I love it because like, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I wouldn't have my study go viral. Like it's, it's, I don't know. (laughs) Well, so what do you think? I always like to come to a situation with, okay, this is what I don't like about it. And here's my suggestion. Like with your research, do you have any suggestions or yeah, like yes. how we can change that? Yes. So lots of things that I do, and some of these are more geared toward like body image related things, because that's a lot of what I study. So some things that I do is I never edit photos of myself because it's been shown to like directly impact depression and self-esteem and all all those lovely things. Um, if I'm interacting with someone or I see someone on Instagram or TikTok and I don't like how their content makes me feel, even if it's just like, they're not doing anything wrong, but like I'm jealous or I just, something about them, you know, is like getting under my skin. I just immediately block them or like press not interested. I don't even allow myself to like feel mm. those feelings of comparison, which has been great. Like that has been a really, really big thing for me. Um, so some, some interesting research that a colleague of mine did was looking at like the way that having features that allow you to disagree with people help. So like on Reddit, you can downvote people, right? If you disagree with their opinion, but right. on TikTok, you've got the option to like, now you- and if you, and if, you can downvote comments, but you can't like download a video. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what they what they found was that when you are only given the option to like agree with something, people who disagree are going to be the ones who flood the comments because right. they have to express their disagreement in some way. There's no way for them to just press like a downvote. So I, first of all, take that into consideration when I start getting like really negative feedback is like, let me look full picture. There's like 30,000 people who have liked this video. I'm getting 10 negative comments. Those are what's going to impact me because they're like the direct words that are coming at me. But overall, they're a minority of people, Um, which is that's been also like super liberating. Um, And I think like in the age of virality, I've had to really figure out how to set like clear boundaries. So I had a video yesterday that was like going off. Like it was definitely going to hit a hundred thousand views, which once a video gets that big, it can get really overwhelming. Yes. But also like, I like to get views, but so I've noticed now that what's like best for my mental health is when I go to bed, I like, I 
I put it to friends only so that it couldn't get any attention or comments or anything overnight that I knew would like stress me out in the morning. Mm -hmm. Like just figuring out ways to like set boundaries that are almost more reflective of like real interactions, like being able to block people, being able to turn off comments and like go to bed. Right. Um, So those are some things that I try, like my suggestions and things that I do myself to make it better. Oh, I know exactly what you're feeling. So I had a couple videos where like within a day or two would go like one had like 1.8 million and one had like 4.8 million. And like, it was very overwhelming. It's a lot. It's a lot, especially, especially like depending on the content of the video, like the feedback can just be so divided. I had one video that like really helped me build my community. And it was like a call for community in my video. I was like, where are my bisexual feminist Swifties? Like come to me. And they all came. And so, and all the comments were great. Like everyone was like, it's me. I love you. Wow. We're best friends. And that was like my only positive experience with a big video. Even if I post like the most mundane thing, people are like, no, you're wrong and you're stupid. And also you're ugly. (laughs) like (laughs) all right so let me ask you this what do you think it is like why what is it that people can't just scroll on by like because I get it sometimes it's like okay you can't give the thumbs down you have to give your opinion but sometimes it's just like really there was no that was not necessary your your input is not um like it's not really necessary like why do you what what do it I don't know I I really don't know. It has to be like some combination of personality factors and maybe like inability to like inhibit a response, like no self-control maybe. What do you um, think about um, projection and, and insecurity? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. But it's also like it, when I see someone who, like I said, on social media, if I see someone who makes me feel jealous or insecure in some way, my first reaction is not to go into the comments and be like, it's to block them so that I can't let myself feel those negative feelings about myself so there's something inherently different about people who are like okay that doesn't serve me I need to scroll away and people who are like that doesn't serve me and I need to tell you why right and and it has to be is what (laughs) awareness and um maybe like the mindset yeah and um oh I was thinking something else what was I thinking I feel like part of it it mostly comes from people with like anonymous accounts, right? Private accounts who don't make content. Like, I think it's a, it's a video that they're seeing and they want to comment, but they don't know how it feels to be on the other end and to be having thousands of people commenting on your opinion. Right. So, but I think part of it really too is like the social media aspect of it. The fact that like those people wouldn't say those things to us in real life. It's because they're protected behind a screen because they don't see us as a full person. They see us as literally a two-dimensional like product that's conveying information and they don't like the product. They don't see us as a person. Right. And oftentimes they wouldn't say it in real life because is you never, you know, the quote where it's like, you'll never see somebody doing better than you. Like, what is it? um, like putting you down or like they don't right, right. too worried about what they're doing. Right. Yeah. So right. I think it's like that you could easily clap back in, in real life. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it definitely creates a very interesting dynamic. It's a different social world than our real life social world. 
Yeah. So the other night you jumped on my live and we got to, so we both went to the Fletcher concert and yes. we, got to, we had a little bit of a chat. I know many people who are on um, Fletcher talk probably see the videos of um, talking about the Fletcher fans being mean. Now you and I both had a pretty decent experience. I did have an interesting experience in Pittsburgh, but it wasn't even by other lesbians. It was a gay dude. So, okay. <laughs> um, what, what do we, what do you think it is? Why do you think these people are having such a negative experience um, and think lesbians are mean? Or Fletcher fans are mean. So I gave you my two cents the other night. And I think I stand by what I said. So first of all, I think there was probably just some heightened like emotion to begin with. Because for me, at least, it was my first concert. Well, I saw Lizzo a few weeks ago. But that was like a big stadium. It was my first concert back in like a small intimate venue where you're like bumping up against people in however many years and it was the first night of her show when I saw her in Orlando so people were just like excited and also probably like readjusting to how to interact right um I think just like the last few years between like wearing masks where we can't see people's faces and interacting over zoom where we're missing body language. I feel like we have kind of, we're not able to pick up as easily on nonverbal cues as before. And we might misinterpret something as hostility when really it's like annoyance or just resting bitch face. Right. Um, So that coupled with the stereotype that most like, mask or like butch lesbians are aggressive probably doesn't help the situation although I find it interesting because Fletcher is not like a hyper mask person um and I personally feel like I didn't see a ton of like super mask people in the audience like everyone was like pretty femme I saw like four men and I was like, this is my safe place. And so exactly. <laughs> and so I find it weird that there would be so much like aggression if there really was from like feminine people. I mean, I don't necessarily want to say that because we can be totally rude. Yeah. But um, but I don't know, it might be like a overcompensating thing. Like I said, like if you're if you're femme and you feel like your identity as a lesbian is contingent on you, like having some masculine qualities, you might kind of try to overassert your dominance or be aggressive in situations, to, like let people know that you are gay. I don't know. There's yeah. definitely some weird gender dynamics going on though. Yeah. I think also just it being general mission and everyone, you know, having their phones up, it's hard to yep. see. And, and yep. Fletcher doesn't make it any easier. Everyone wants to see what the hell she's doing on the stage. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. I remember like, I was just, I was like minding my business. I was like as close tucked together as I could be. I did not really want to be bumping into anyone because also I was like, y'all are kind of gross. Um, and at one point, I don't even know if she really was talking to me, but I was like here, I had a friend next to me. And then there was a couple on the side of her and they reached over my friend to look at me and they were like, can you stop hitting us? And I, there was like a person in between us. And I thought maybe she was like talking to someone else because I was like me, like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. Um, so I, that was like my only weird experience, but also I was like, I think you might be on drugs if you thought that I was touching you, right? Because I'm a good two people away. That is bizarre. (laughs) 
Well, it's interesting too, what you say about COVID, by the way, it's getting dark here too. Um, because you know what happened um, with the Halloween festival in uh, Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was reading an article about it and it was talking about crowds over the past two years since COVID and how like, these are the little things that COVID has affected that we didn't really know. Okay. So they were, this was the first time that event happened um, since COVID. And so there was probably more people than normal and mm-hmm. excited to be out and about. And then also because there have been no crowds for the past few years, crowd control wasn't a thing. So people either for, you know, maybe aren't as who are supposed to be controlling, right. Aren't able to do it as much or or organizers. So it was just talking about those two aspects, uh, you know, and what was happening, you know, what happened with the, um, the Travis show and Mm -hmm. other things that have happened over the past couple of years. And I'm like, wow, it's crazy. Like how many things COVID has affected that we really just, even just in the slightest way that we have no idea. Yeah, it's, um, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of lasting impact, like, especially for kids, like kids and like toddlers who were growing up with this, like, I don't, I'm very curious to see how developmentally it's kind of shifted their experience with the world. Oh, a hundred percent, especially since, you know, the brain and the development of the brain and basically from zero to, to seven, you are the biggest sponge, mm-hmm. you know, and if that's very limited now, it, and you only got to hang out with your mom. Right. Right. What does that mean for right. that child, you know, as an adult? Yeah. It's um, it's definitely an interesting time to be studying social behavior. And I kind of pivoted like my campus closed, right? I couldn't do research in person. I couldn't go out to clubs anymore in Ebor and research women because clubs were closed. Yes. So um, I pivoted and started doing some COVID related research too, um, that kind of fit also with what my advisor does. And we were looking at like, in like health intentions and how thinking about being um, like individualistic versus um, having more of like a communal orientation or like a collectivist orientation impacts like wearing a mask and getting vaccinated and stuff. Um, and it's just so it's been so interesting to study these things while they're happening. Right. But yeah. also I'm like, I kind of wish that it hadn't, I wish I could have hypothetically been studying these things. Yeah. Right. Instead of actually in real life. Yeah. Um, what's the most interesting study that you've ever like been involved in probably the home never gets cold one (laughs) just because like I don't think anything can really outdo that like so it was most research in psychology I feel like especially in social psychology happens online like people are taking surveys which is great because you get a lot of responses really quickly but you lose a lot of interaction with your participants and it's also like you don't know what they're doing when you're taking, when they're taking your survey. You don't know if they're on their phone. You don't know if they're browsing the computer or whatever. So to be able to actually go and like physically like interact with every single person that I collected data from and like be there to like quality control, check everything. And also like put a face to the people that are like contributing to my study was really cool and nice and like made me feel like a real researcher. Um, Well, you are. I am, but like, I was like, oh, wow, I don't just like press a button online and collect data. Like, 
Yeah. And we were out for so many hours. Like I really felt like I put effort into like getting the data. Like it was something that I had to go and like get. Um, And I don't know if you've ever like approached people who are waiting in line for like (laughs) club prana and like the honey pot, like I'm like there with my clipboard and I'm like, hi, um, I go to USF. Like, do you want to take my survey? I'm going to give you a glow stick as a bracelet if you take it. And all these drunk girls are like, what, what? Like, I want to, and I had to filter through people who were like really drunk. Um, so it was like, it was fun and also like kind of terrifying, (laughs) but I think that that's like, that's my proudest study just because it's, it was like such a process to do. Um, and then one that I'm really proud of that hasn't been published yet, but is in review right now. So fingers crossed, um, extends this, um, like it, it extends looking at objectification and how it relates to like physical sensation, but instead of us self objectifying and therefore not being aware of our internal states, it looks at how people, perceive women's physical states when they are objectified. So to the extent that men see us as like actual objects, do they actually see us as not being able to feel pain? So um, I extended that to a domestic violence situation. And I had like a hypothetical domestic violence victim who was either like there was a photo of her shown either sexualized or non-sexualized. We measured objectification. We measured dehumanization of her as a result her perceived suffering. And then we asked them to give like a sentencing to the perpetrator. And we found that when she was objectified, she was seen as lacking human qualities, like seen as a literal object, which predicted an inability to feel pain, which predicted reduced sentencing for the perpetrator. So that's really heavy. Um, Not necessarily as fun as the hoe never gets cold, but I'm really, really hoping that it gets published soon because I feel like that could have um, some really good implications for like trials of domestic violence victims and like actually have a real world impact, which is what I want to do. A hundred percent. Wow. Yeah. That's intense, but also interesting. Oh my God, it's pouring now. It's coming your way. No, it's sunny here now. (laughs) Then it came my way. Um, okay, so I have a couple questions left. Number one, what are you most excited about to study in the future? Um, ooh. Mm. <laughs> um, so I've kind of been on this kick and I've tried, I've tried doing a few studies and I don't know if I'm getting at it entirely correctly, but Mainly, I focus on like how being objectified or how objectifying ourselves can be harmful. But I know a lot of women find a lot of power in like self-sexualizing and self-objectifying. And like the most extreme end of that would be like sex workers. And maybe a less extreme would just be like women who like getting their nails done, women who go and get their legs waxed, even though it hurts like hell. And it's really just to like please other people. And so I'm trying to do a set of studies um, looking at how and when engaging in these behaviors is empowering and if it kind of buffers against the negative mental health consequences. So if we're doing them because we really want to and we feel ownership over them rather than because we feel like we have to. Interesting. Um, so, But I don't know how to study. Like every time I try to do it, I'm not 
I can't figure out the, the right way to get at these concepts. So that's my like challenge. You'll get there. You'll figure it out. Um, I took a page from the book because um, I'm currently in discussion with a, a researcher. It's, it's in the like medical field, mm-hmm. researching later in life lesbians and how, what they're going through or how they've come about and how they can, I don't know, it, it's something to do with doctor's offices and stuff okay. like that. So working with her to uh, help get some information there from some of our yeah. Club Lily's employees. Holy crap. It's like completely white. Is out. it pouring? Yeah. yeah, I love it. I can't hear it at all, which is crazy. Okay. Good. Um, okay. So I have another question for you. Is this what you always wanted to do? No. Yes. And no, I always knew that I wanted to pursue psychology. I didn't know what subfield. And I think it's because like the general public doesn't know a ton about the different subfields of psychology. I feel like everyone thinks that it's like you're a counselor, you're a therapist, or you like work in a psych ward. And all of that makes up like clinical and counseling psychology, which is really such a tiny subsection of all of psychology. So I went to college in Oregon and I studied psychology. And while I was there, I was working in a cognitive neuroscience lab doing like brain imaging, um, looking at like electrical signals from the brain. And I was like, this is so cool. Like, I love being able to actually see like what people are thinking while it's happening. Um, and I worked there for like eight months, maybe during my last year. And then during my final semester, I studied abroad and I was working at a women's, um, what do you call it? It was like, it was like a local like organization meant to help women integrate into like refugees integrate into society. So like they were providing English classes and like basic math classes and like resume building stuff. And that was my opportunity to kind of explore like the social work side of things. I was like, I'm not sure if I want to do research, not sure if I want to do more like hands-on applied counseling stuff. And so having that internship made me realize that I cannot work with people who are struggling because I just take it in like way too much. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I don't want to do that. Need to do research, but I really want to do things related to like women's health and women's issues. So then I was at this crossroads where I was like, all of my experience is in cognitive neuroscience, but I really think I want to do like gender stuff, which is in the social psych field. So I was like, okay, now I have to apply to PhD programs and I have no idea what to apply to. So I applied to some that were like purely cognitive neuroscience, some that were purely social. And then I found a handful that were a blend. Um, So one of them is USF where I am now. And the PhD program is cognition, neuroscience and social psychology. Um, And it's the only school I got into. (laughs) So I applied to like seven schools and I didn't see myself being in Florida. Um, I grew up here, but I didn't love it. Um, And so this was like the path that was given to me after I put out a bunch of different feelers. And I'm honestly like amazed and so glad that it's where I ended up because it is entirely perfect for me. And I can't imagine now having been in a different field or doing something else. Um, and I was able to like combine all my interests, but it really was just like it, the universe was like here, this is where you're going. 
have fun unfolding perfectly yeah yeah okay so last question for you if you could go back and talk to your childhood self and not tell them you know don't do this or don't not give any like direct information like that but like tell them something that they would need to hear what would you say hmm I would tell my childhood self it's a good question making me dig up my trauma (laughs) (laughs) Um, basically (laughs) um I would probably tell myself that I don't need So I grew up in a divorced household and not only divorced, but my mom and I moved to Florida from Hawaii when I was like seven and my dad still lived in Hawaii. Mm. So as a seven-year-old in like a nasty divorce, I was the communicator between them. And I think I would tell my little tiny self that like, I didn't need to take on the adult's problems or like internalize them because like really I would have my mom being like why hasn't your dad sent child support like you need to call him I'm like seven yeah um or my dad calling me to like talk to my mom so I think I would tell myself that like those problems are for the adults and I deserve to not think about them wow yeah yeah wow that's crazy um that's a whole nother uh, topic. Yeah. When, when parents, you know, treat their children kind of like adults or forget. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good advice. Yeah. yeah. Well, is there any, I, I wish I knew it then. <laughs> right. Well, you no, know, it's crazy. I, I've done, you know, talking to my childhood self, I've gone through experiences with like, um, so jo- do you know, Joseph McClendon, the third, he's a um, neuropsychologist or psychiatrist, psychiatrist or psychologist. I don't know. One of those. Okay. A doc, he has his doctorate in that. And so he, I went through a process with him where like you go back and you literally like do this meditation yeah. where you talk to your childhood self and yeah. I told my childhood self something. And after the fact, I was thinking about it and my mind was blown because I'm like, whoa, did I just time travel? Because I remember being that age and hearing these thoughts in my head, but I had no idea where they came from because nobody told me those things. I literally like just got chills. Do you follow the woman or do you see her on TikTok ever with like the dousing rods and she's asking her deceased grandfather questions okay I'm gonna have to find her she has these dousing rods and she communicates with her deceased grandfather and the rods like only give yes or no answers they open for yes and they cross for no and like she's holding them and then the energy is like moving them and I just came across a video of hers the other day um where people were asking about time and the first question was like is time linear the way that we assume it is and the rod said no and then she specifically was like, okay, so is our, our future selves, our past selves and our current selves all existing at the same time? And they said, yes. Yeesh. And then she was like, okay, so if I talk, if I talk to my future self, like, am I actually like communicating right now with my future self? And they were like, yes. And she's like, okay, is that why when you do like manifestations, you should like speak in the present because you're always communicating with your past and future versions of yourself. And it was like, yes. And I was like, holy shit. So it's like actually wild that you brought that up. And I have no doubt. 
like I literally no doubt that that's how my little child self knew to keep going. That's crazy. I have to find, I forget her username, but I'll find her and send you that because it's exactly what you're saying. So point being, you should have that conversation with your childhood. Self. Yes. I'll go and cry in the bathtub <laughs> and do it. No crying. You just tell them, Hey, we're good now. We're good now. You're going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah, big things, big things. Yeah, as you are, and um, I'm excited to see what research is to come from you. Like all the different things, it's an exciting field. Like that's one of the. I was um a sociology major, but I was I wanted to go back and uh for research. I'm just really intrigued by it all. I I just never did. So good for you going. Well, (laughs) and sociology is so fun. When I was like finishing up my major, I was taking so many sociology classes and I was like, should I switch my major? Right. And so much of what I do, like there's overlap between social psych and sociology. The difference is like with sociology, you're looking at groups and with psychology, you're looking at individual people. And that's right. really the only difference. And it's a lot of the same processes. Yes. So, and very interesting with uh, social media now, you know, it's, it's the study of people, the study of people. And that's how we connect. I've like, it's actually crazy. I've been following you for so long. I've been following you since you were doing Beach Body. Oh my God. It's like 10 years ago. Seven. So yeah. yeah. Like when you were in Boston, because I had just started Beach Body, which is a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, I cannot deal with like the women that I'm seeing on social media. Like, this is not for me. And I was like, oh my God, like a gay person. Yes. It's so funny you say that because literally that was kind of what helped me to step into myself. I I had really horrible confidence and Beachbody is a great, I I hate when there's like fitness influencers or people out there bashing it being like, you have no, you know, background or this and that. I'm like, you don't need a background. Like the video to do the video, you know, Right. right you know, motivating them. But I saw nobody that looked like me, you know, it was yeah. all on sorority girls. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to step into my power here and represent the gay community within Beachbody. And that's kind of how I came about online even. It's just, you know. Yeah, no, I know because I've like, I've seen all of your steps since then. And it's funny now that you're in like the Tampa Bay area, but um, yeah, social media is wild. It is wild. It's so, and I believe Gus, so you say universe, I say Gus, God, universe, source. I think Gus plays a part in how we all connect. And and because there's a lot of people from my past that are, oh, I knew you then. And then I'm, next thing you know, they're like my neighbor or something. Yeah. Yeah. I know. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate this conversation. I love it. I, I want to continue to have you on as like a specialist in some sort. Like, oh, Yeah. Oh, because there's yes. a lot of stuff happening with, I think that 2023 is the year of the lesbian. And yes. that's, it's because of TikTok. It honestly, I would love to talk. I know you've talked about this, maybe that article that you were just interviewed in about like how social media and just like the pandemic in general has like caused this awakening of a lot of people. And I have my own like hypotheses about it. Um, one of which is that so many women were out of the male gaze. Like when we are interacting with people on a daily basis, we are always subject to harassment and catcalling and we cannot just be in our bodies. And being able to be home and like escape from that allowed us to actually like recognize what we're feeling. Be like, do I like men? No, I don't. It's so interesting. I And I think that the algorithm plays a huge part. Mm-hmm. Like I, the, when I was talking to the woman that's doing this study the other day, I'm like, well, it's not that this is a new thing per se, like women realizing that they're gay or that they could like women as well. 
Um, because back in the day we used to make, we used to, it was a joke, you know, if you turned a straight girl, you get a blender, you know, because right. you a straight girl in a room full of lesbians, she, the nine out of 10 times, she's going to end up falling in love with one of them. Yeah. Right. It's, and I've seen this, but now it's just amplified because social media has such a larger reach and the mm-hmm. kept putting people in the, it's just, it is mind blowing to me. And I am so intrigued by all of it. I mean, I, the job I have right now is here because of that, whatever that was. Right. Yeah, I would love to talk about all of this more. And also, if there are any things where you're like, is there research on this? Like, let me know. And I'll like do like a quick search and like figure out figure out what the experts are saying. I would love for you to to check about this later in life lesbian like influx. I I think there's even research yet because it's only been two years since it's right. But there there might still I, there might be previous research, not necessarily like on exactly that, but like, right. right. And now explanation. we just, well, and plus I'll be, I'll be in future. So I think, um, hopefully I'll be on as a research assistant with, um, cool. So, uh, like to be in some research for that as well. <laughs> that is so fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. It's pretty cool. What we're, what we're doing is fun. Um, all right, well, let's keep in touch on that, all that stuff. And obviously we connect on social media all the time. So yes. I will send me all the ways that people can follow you. I will put it in the show notes um, so they can follow along with what you're doing. And um, I'm just really excited to see uh, what comes about. Thank you so much for having me. And before we go, can I take a picture? So I can oh, post on, on Instagram on the story. Yeah, wait, hold on. Okay, smile, you're on camera. Wait, oh no, this is so bad. Okay, wait, good. Okay, amazing. <laughs> I will post this and tag you and then I'll send you all of my socials. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. All right. That was Roxanne Felix doing big things. I am excited to see what's to come in the future. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. Please, if you have any uh, feedback, let us know in um, the comments. You can comment on the episode. And um, I'm looking forward to what's to come for the rest of this year and into 2023. Super excited. And I can't wait to bring it to y'all. I hope you have an amazing day and until next time.